Well, we praise the Lord. Uh, Carl and Valerie got closed in their house in North Carolina on Thursday. They closed in their house here on Friday. You know, if you, if you close houses, that's, that's a big deal, especially as how fast that. So they're settled. So thankful for his ministry as he begins with us. It's just special joy for me because I knew Carl years ago before he was a believer as a football player. And just what a joy to see what God does in people's lives over the years. Just special for me. As we've been going through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, our brother Ben has been encouraging us as he quotes that scripture to us. And we've been taking these big hunks, I think it's a little bit bit more like what they got. They got the whole letter at once. And I'm sure later they went back and dissected it like we do many times. But it's such a blessing with the giftedness that God has given Ben Sanchez that he ministers that to us. So Ben, you come minister 1 Corinthians 14. Good morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, for the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, 
Tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy, prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask her husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Thank you, Ben. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this passage, Lord, I pray that we receive the instruction that we would be spirit-filled, Lord, that I would be spirit-filled as a teacher to communicate this passage accurately and that every one of us would be spirit-filled listeners, that you might apply easily the word to our hearts, that we might be conformed to you, that we might desire true spiritual worship, graceful worship. Lord, that we would be a reflection of your holiness and your grace and your love to those that are around us. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 14, how to have a true spiritual worship service. These people are called saints because they are. It's part of our vernacular to say, well, I'm not a saint. Well, then you're not saved because every born-again person is set apart by Jesus Christ and he calls them saints. But these saints had some problems and it manifested itself in their personal relationship with one another, in their communion service, and in their worship services. You see, God made us intellect, Emotion and will, that's his image. 
and he expects us to worship. We read in Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. What does that mean? With all that we are. So we give, representing the time when we give our offerings that we work during the week. We come with our burdens and our prayer requests and we come with a heart that's eager to learn more from God. The word of God is central to every worship service, always has been. In the Old Testament tabernacle, in the temple, and the New Testament church, the word of God is central. Now, these folks didn't have the completed New Testament yet. And there were the sign gifts still in operation, which simply affirmed that the word was true. It affirmed those messengers that were giving the word. There comes a time, we believe, when those things passed away. Now, is God able to do whatever he wants whenever he wants? Yes, amen and amen. And if you'll notice, the last couple verses in this passage said, don't forbid to speak in tongues. A lot of people that like the ecstatic speaking go right, oh, the Bible says don't forbid. Well, you need to look at the whole context because there's a lot of forbidding and rules about how a worship service should take place. God is a God of order. Satan always tries to bring chaos to God's order. God created the world. He created all the creatures. He created man and woman. And then he said, it's very good. And then Satan brought the chaos of sin in, didn't he? You ever wondered, why is this world such a mess? Why can't we just get along? Because of sin. That's the chaos that sin brought, that Satan brought into the world. And Satan is a counterfeiter, and that's why he brings the chaos, so he can bring disruption to God's program. Of all places, the church ought to be that place of peace and order and grace. See, true spiritual worship is graceful. It ministers grace. John MacArthur said, because of the extreme carnality in the church at Corinth, we can be sure that much of the tongue speaking that was going on was counterfeit. Believers, they were no in spiritual condition to properly use spiritual gifts or properly manifest true spiritual fruit. How could a congregation so worldly, so opinionated, selfish, cliquish, envious, jealous, divisive, argumentative, arrogant, disorderly, defrauding, inconsiderate, gluttonous, immoral, and desecrative of the Lord's Supper exercise the, spirits, the, the gifts of the Spirit? For them to do so would have defied every spiritual principle of spirituality laid down in Scripture. You cannot walk in the Spirit while exercising the flesh. In fact, that's what gives credibility to our ministry, isn't it? You teach something, and then you live it out. If you teach something, if you preach something you don't practice, not much validity there, is there? Kind of empty. As we go back, just in your mind, think of all the things we've gone through and the challenges. Paul started in chapter one, and he said, we have a supernatural salvation. Chapter two. They have an opportunity for supernatural wisdom. That's available to every believer, supernatural wisdom. From the word of God and from your relationship, your personal relationship 
as you walk with God. Spiritual words, spiritual thoughts, right? Just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's a right thought. Even if you think it's a good thought and you like it, you compare it to the word of God. But every believer has that opportunity. We don't have to run off and run around like chickens with our head cut off or think that life is like being in a pinball machine Well, you're just knocked here and there. No, no, we can have true spiritual wisdom on every decision that's available to us. In business, chapter three, they have supernatural ministry. They have the local church. This is a supernatural family. When God brings people, he saves them, puts them into a body. That's a great opportunity. Supernatural leadership in chapter four. The worship of the one true God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's ours. So we can have a supernatural life. Well, what had they done? They'd left that to go back to their old pagan ways of pride, immorality, greed, and pagan experiential worship. You see, in every culture of pagan worship, there is found this ecstatic speaking, this, this mysterious experience. Sometimes it's brought on by drugs. Sometimes it's a psychomatic uh, experience. But in every culture in those pagan religions, you find this. It's a common thing. It's Satan's counterfeit because people are looking for an experience so they can feel better about themselves. They can feel somehow affirmed. I didn't do that, so that was good. Even some church will teach, well, just set the Bible aside and you just start, and they teach you how to speak in tongues. Listen, you don't choose your gift. God just gives you those gifts. And so there's some very clear teaching here and You'd say, well, pastor, you don't believe in the gift of tongues. Yes, I do. I do believe in the gifts of tongues, and it's called languages. And if someone came into our congregation, according to the rules, and they gave a message from God in a language they didn't normally speak in, we would say, okay, that's not natural. That'd be supernatural. If Ben stood up here, and he said, I have a message from the Lord, and he spoke in Russian, and then somebody else stood up and, and, and interpreted what he said because they naturally speak Russian. We go, okay, something's going on here. That was from God. But for somebody to get up and just say gibberish and somebody else said, well, they said this, how do we know? They could be making it up. We don't know. And God is not a God of confusion. In fact, these people, we read that earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, they had messed it up so much. Some were getting up using the static speaks. People were saying, they saying Jesus is cursed. Well, that's not from God. Just because something's supernatural doesn't mean it's from God. God, great Old Testament uh, in, in Isaiah, to the law and to the testimony, they speak not according to this words because they don't have any vision. That's not from God. God always operates according to his word. And Paul saw the need for this congregation with all their problems because he loved them. He had such a heart for them to once again give, give them the order because, you know, worship is very important. A lot of people say, well, I don't need to worship. Carl talked about that. I just go out and do my own thing. Well, then you're disobedient if you're a believer because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look around, brother. Something's going on. 
a world full of chaos and war and rumors of war and greed and, and unjust judges and they call evil good in our culture and they call good evil. Something's going on. We need one another. We need to be built up. A church, we come together to be built up in the word of God, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to share one another's burdens, to worship together. It's what we were created for. Worship is number one. That's the priority. So that we're strengthened to go back out in the world and be the salt and light out there that we need to be. They exchanged the true and powerful for the worldly satanic counterfeit. Satan's supernatural. He can counterfeit a lot. The thing about prophecy, it was in their language, so that could be checked, right? And he says later on when he's going through the rules, let the prophets be subject to the other prophets, those that know the word of God. Somebody gets up and they have a message, and so they share the message because they didn't have the completed word of God. They had this special office also still of those that gave revelation from God. And we come to the end of, of the book of Revelation. What does it say? Don't add to the words of this book. Don't, don't get up and, and say, well, this is directly from God. We should be writing it down in Scripture. No, no. No, that's completed. But if somebody did have a message, even now when I preach, you have your, have your Bibles. You can say, is that what it's saying? And as believers, we can come to a passage. All of us will get straightened out in heaven and, and disagree about putting our finger on it, well, I think God's saying this. Well, no, I think he's saying this. But it's not just what hits us. Well, I feel like this, therefore, we don't change the word of God. It's the authority. True spiritual worship. It's amazing. Paul is teaching about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, he says this, verse 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps administration, various kinds of languages. All are not apostles, are they? No, no, no. Mm -mm. All are not apostles. All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Listen, there's no miracle workers today. Does God still work miracles? Amen and amen. He still heals. There's no miracle works. If they are, why aren't they in the cancer wards? Why don't they go to the children's hospital and clean that place up? Because there aren't any. They're frauds. Can God still heal? Yes, he does. He's a supernatural God. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with languages, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, I show you a Better way. What's the better way? First Corinthians 13. These people are all motivated by self-love and self-promotion. It wasn't about building one another up, which is what the church is supposed to be about, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another. It was about them having a place on the platform. That's what paganism is. That's what the flesh is. It's about me. And the worship had degenerated. So he puts chapter 13 in there, agape love. The love that seeks the best for the other person. That's only possible when you're in Christ. And that's 
14, he comes to 14, but that's sandwiched between the next chapter, chapter 15, which is the great doctrine of the resurrection, that this isn't all here. We're living for eternity. That ought to change the way we live, that it's not all here. We just don't get all we can and can all we get for here. Our desire is to be obedient to God because one day we're gonna stand before him and say, what'd you do with my word? Well, I just felt, Lord, better about this way. And I just think Paul, he had some attitudes about, no, no, no. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What is that? Obedient to what you understand. To him that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So Paul gives us this wonderful chapter with some some walls, with some instructions and principles that we might know how we are to worship God in spirit and in truth, not just how we feel. He didn't leave us just to kind of figure out how we wanted to do it. He didn't tell us what time we had to meet on Sunday morning. He didn't even say we had to meet on Sunday. Remember, he gave us that instruction in Romans 14. One, one guy thinks this day's better, another day in different cultures. Maybe the whole culture takes off because they worship on Tuesday. Well, then fine. If that's when Christians get off, then that's the day you worship. But he calls us to true spiritual worship. He begins in verses one through five, and he said, listen, prophecy is a superior gift. Why? Because everybody can understand it. It's given in a language that everybody can understand. In verse three, we get the foundation for what is supposed to happen in church when the word of God is spoken. Edification, exhortation, and consolation or comfort. That's what the word brings us. Comfort because we realize this is not the end. We have all eternity. Comfort because those that have passed on and gone to be with the Lord, we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. That's what the word says. It gives us that comfort. We don't have to be afraid of death. That's not the worst thing that happened. The word of God comforts our hearts there. And for the believer, you read the word, that's real salve, that's real food, that's real strength. The unbeliever, they go, that's just words. Not to us that are saved. We hear the word of God and we hold on to it. It is our life. It is direction. Also, the word gives us edification. It builds us up. It equips us for the ministry, for our families, for all the things that God gives us. I said many times, we, we, we don't have, they didn't have the completed word of God, so God was giving them his word by these gifted people that were anointed to give them this. See, because the word is different. K. Rooks is just preaching forth, just speaking forth God's truth. That's what I'm doing. But the Greek word propheteo has to do also with supernatural anointing, and so this is a different thing than we're experiencing for the most part today. And he said, this is greater than tongues. Verse five, he comes to five and he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Why would he say that? I wish all of you could speak in a foreign language. Number one, one of the big problems in this church was the haves and the have-nots. Whether it was money or a better spiritual gift or more information or I follow Paul. No, I follow Peter. Oh, I'm spiritual. I just follow Jesus. 
They had this thing going on. We still have it today. Oh, I'm reformed. Mm. Like somehow you found some special thing in Scripture that no one discovered, you and your friends. No. That's the same thing, the same pride that was operating in the church of Corinth. Satan was trying to destroy it, not from the outside, but from the inside. The haves and the have-nots. And Paul just saying, listen, if you all had the same gift, at least you wouldn't be arguing about that. Listen, I will tell you that speaking, learning another language is a heady thing. It really is. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing. There's a special joy when I have the opportunity to just speak in Spanish. Now, in, in Wyoming, that's a little more difficult because most people in Wyoming have Mexican heritage and, and when I speak somebody that speaks Spanish that's from Mexico, either they think, are you trying to find out if I'm legal? Just trying to practice Spanish. Or some feel like, hey, that's mine. You can't try that, white man. I don't know what it is, but there's a hesitancy to want to speak in Spanish. When I go to Costa Rica, the Ticos, man, they just love helping me, and I just love speaking in Spanish, and there's a special joy because when somebody speaks that language that you're learning to you, I don't know about you, but I feel this immediate fear. Oh, man, I'm not going to get it. And then all of a sudden, you'd be, oh, I do. I understand. And there's that great joy of being able to communicate with them in their heart language. There's something very special about that. Listen, how about if you didn't learn the language, and all of a sudden, God just gave you this supernatural ability to speak? Be a heady thing. But the thing about gifts is there's nothing to be proud about because you didn't do it. God has gifted me to be a preacher. I can take absolutely no pride in that because I didn't do that. I did not do that. God gifts people in the body. Maybe you have the gift of service and people say, you are just such an amazing servant. Yes, I am. No, no, you don't say that. You say what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's no place for pride when it comes to giftedness. That's, that's just God's gift to you. We can take no pride in our salvation because we did nothing but receive it. So gifts are the same way. They are for ministering and building up others. God was so wise. You study the book of Ephesians chapter four. He talks about all the gifts that were given to men, given to people. And all those gifts, Jesus had all the spiritual gifts, but he's placed them in the body so that only together we become the whole representation of the body of Christ and all of his giftedness together. We need one another. But as we minister our spiritual gifts to one another, we mature one another. So that if you find a man that's been matured in the body, you may be hard to figure out what spiritual gift he has because everybody's been ministering their gift to one another. God desires that. But also... Think about this. Everybody had the gifts of speaking those languages. They should have been carrying the gospel everywhere to those cultures. I think Paul later is going to say, I speak gift, these languages more than you all because God used that in his ministry of going out all the places he went to minister to all those tribes and all those different language groups he went to to share the gospel. And I'm sure he was just amazed and so thankful that as he saw people come to Christ, Paul was not a fellow walking around like you couldn't talk to him because he was so full of himself. No, no. What did he call himself? Chief of all sinners. 
not worthy. But God chose him and he gifted him and he used him in a powerful way. Secondly, verses six through 19, Paul just goes over the futility of trying to teach or pray in a language that no no one understands. We could have an amazing Hebrew teacher that just spoke in Hebrew and most of us go, well, I guess it was good. Yeah, he sounded enthusiastic, you know? Or Greek or Russian or even Spanish and only half of you would get it. So he just, in that passage, just going through and he says, listen, brethren, if I come to you and speak in a language, what will it profit unless I speak to you either by revelation or knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? And he goes on to talk about flutes, harps, bugles, musical instruments even, if unless there's a melody and a, and a, and a line they're following, we go, that's just noise. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in even the tongue of angels, listen, I don't know what language angels speak in. Everything that they spoke when they were on earth, when they come and met, they, they spoke in the language of the person that could understand. He's using hyperbole. And have not love, it's no better than distracting noise. That's all it is. It's a distraction, it's confusion, it's chaos. He goes on to say, Verse nine, so also, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? You'll just be talking into the air and there are servers across America, that's what they do. And they go home and say, oh man, what an experience we had today. So you felt good about it, but what anybody else get? Nada, nothing, nothing. Yeah, but I feel good about it. Really, is that, is that the standard for ministry? You felt good about it? Or does it line up with the word of God and are people encouraged for holiness and righteousness? He says, if I don't know, verse 11, the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks a barbarian and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. Verse 12, so also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound to the edification of the church. Therefore, if somebody speaks in a language, pray also that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit prays. He's talking about his life, his self. You may be speaking a language and your spirit is full of thanksgiving, but if nobody understands it, It doesn't help anybody. Doesn't build them up. They don't know what's going on. Verse 13, therefore let he who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What's the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the mind. I will sing with the spirit. I'll also sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit, Only how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen? I feel really thankful. Let me just use this different language to tell everybody about it. And they go, okay, nice. Sounded good. But they weren't built up. Not the place for it. I thank God I speak 
in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five, five words of my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a language. Then he gives this instruction, verses 20 through 22. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. In other words, we need to be growing. Just don't come to a place you know. This is natural in the Christian life. It's so interesting to me how little time it takes for a Christian to fall into their own tradition and rut. Let's just call it rut. Rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. You, you get there and say, okay, I've got to figure it out. How to cut my hair, how to wear my clothes, what to say and not to say, okay, I'm done. And you become a spectator believer. Oh, you know your doctor. You don't affect anybody else outside your family. But you know what you like. And that's why you go to church. Churches are filled in America, even good doctrinal preaching churches of people that are spectating. They found something they like, they sit down and they just rest. That's what they do. They're not involved in ministry. They're not growing. That's the church at Ephesus. They knew their doctrine. They knew who was false teachers and not false teachers. But they left their first love. He says, we need to be growing, maturing. Then he gives us an insight about languages. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. Even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are not a sign to those who believe, but to unbelievers. What's he talking about there? One of my new favorite commentators is uh, Dr. Will Coberly. We were talking about this the other day. He's famous. He's more than famous. He's infamous. And he said, what we have to realize is that was judgment to the unbelieving Jew because God intended Jerusalem to be a Hebrew-speaking place, very Jewish. But they didn't listen to God, did they? What did God do? He sent in the Babylonians to take over and to deport them and destroy their worship. And yet they still wouldn't believe. Even after that, Jeremiah was there and he said, hey, listen, you just go with them, go, go with them. Don't rebel. They wouldn't listen to God. They wouldn't recognize a prophet of God. He told Isaiah, I want you to speak all this truth, but they're not gonna hear you. So when Acts 2 happens, and all of these strange languages are heard, the people of Israel should have said, hold it, this is God's judgment. What did they do? They just rejected Jesus. So the sign, not the word spoken, but the sign of all these different languages should have been a wake-up call, and probably it was. I mean, those Jewish people, it's like, oh, what did the Bible say about that when we hear strange languages? Now, when you go back to that passage, there was no unknown language being spoken. Bible says everyone heard in their own language. And it wasn't just a miracle of hearing because it says those unbelieving Jews that heard it, it sounded like babble, like confusion. But the Bible says as God gave them utterance. So there was order there. It wasn't just everybody at the same time. As the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, they spoke in these languages that should have been assigned unbelievers. God's doing something here. But what was spoken was the gospel, was the message of Jesus so those people could hear and believe. 
So he says here, it's a sign to unbelieving Jews, but the message of that language is so that people can understand the word of God and return. It's not just the fact that they heard a strange language. Oh, let me get saved then. No, no, no. They heard the message. They understood the message. I remember sitting with Svetlana one day. She had such a concern for some of her Russian friends that live in the community. And so she asked David and I to come and she put a big dinner on, invited all our friends and she'd written her testimony out in English for us because she was gonna share it with Russian and them, with them. And I thought, Lord, this would be a good time. Why don't you just give me, I would love to preach in Russian, especially without learning it. You know, you learn a language, that's a discipline. It's a discipline, but what a joy. He didn't do it. He let her do it because she's better at it. She knows Russian, so she just, wouldn't it be wonderful if our people wouldn't have to learn languages? They could, God could call them to China and they could just go and not have to learn those very difficult different dialects that are even in China. They go to Japan and just speak. God able to do that? Yes, we have heard of testimonies of missionaries They went off to tribes, they didn't have a language, and they were able to speak to them. God can still do that. But here's the thing. It's always according to the rules of Scripture. So you can tell. You can tell. Is this of God or not of God? It's what the Word of God says. So in verses... 23 through 35, we have rules of order for the assembly. First of all, 23 and 25, listen, what do you want, chaos or conviction? He says there briefly, if if somebody walks in and everybody's speaking in their foreign language at the same time, they're gonna think you're crazy. What's going on there? It's kind of scary, right? There's no conviction, but if, if there's the message from God then everybody's gonna be convicted that comes in and they're gonna know God's in this place because the word of God is spoken and God can use that and people can understand. You see, as I said before, God has created us intellect, emotion, and will. God doesn't want us driven by emotion. That's why we don't have emotional driven messages for our young people. We just preach the word of God. But emotion is important. How does it work? God gives us information. Maybe you're worried about dying. Maybe God, the doctor's giving you bad news. You're worried about dying and your, your brain says, oh, that's scary. You've never died before, right? And so you go to scripture and you read, hey, listen, to be absent in the bodies of your presence with the Lord. That's not the worst thing can happen to a believer. You may not know the experience of it, but you have God's word. If you're a believer, that gives you peace. That gives you confidence. And so then you, your intellect affects your emotion, which affects your will. You can now make decisions correctly based upon the word of God. He begins in verse 26, says everybody wants the platform. Everybody's got a language. Everybody's got something to say. That's not church. Church is about order. And so he's given elders to be able to make those discernments who should be speaking. I remember um, Jim Cimbala. He's a Pentecostal pastor, godly man. And uh, 
bunch of us and Pastor Garrett had gone out to Moody uh, Founders Week. And I guess it's because Jim Simler was there. Maybe this young man thought, since Jim is Pentecostal, then I'll be able to give my personal prophecy in front of all these thousands of people. And so uh, it just blessed all of our heart because uh, what would happen? Jim Simbola is a godly man. He stands up, a little tiny guy with his microphone. He begins to speak, and this young man stands up in the back. He just came from prayer meeting. He had a message from the Lord, and he said, Mr. Simbola, Mr. Simbola, I have a message from the Lord. He said, no, young man, I have the message of the Lord. You need to sit down. And he said, no, no, Mr. Simbola, and that's the last we heard because he was raptured out of the place. Two large men just went, he was gone. Order, order. And later, Pastor Garrett shared with all of us, I hate that personal prophecy stuff. They're always interrupting everything. And it causes so much trouble. As Paul said, everybody wants the microphone. Everybody wants to get up and say something. So here's some rules. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a language, it should be like by two or at the most three. Three in a service. And then he says, one at a time. Verse 28. If there's no interpreter, if they get up and say, does anybody speak Russian? Does anybody speak, is that what you're speaking? Right? Anybody interpret? Nope. Then just sit down. Oh, but it's from the Lord. Doesn't matter. The word of God's the authority here. No, you just sit down. Verse 29, rules for prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Wow. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one beside. So one guy's talking, another guy raises his hand, and, and so they had this ordered. And the, the elders were supposed to rule this way. Okay, you're done. You stand up. I have more to say. Nope. God's talking through him now. There's a sharing, right? Then he says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn. It's hard to, to, to hear in a room where there's a bunch of people talking. So he says you need to be orderly, one by one. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Here we go. Rules for women. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in the church. Hmm. God's word. You think there was some pushback? Oh, yeah, there was pushback. These people had this experience and God gave me, so you, how can you fight God? Here's the Apostle Paul. He gives the final word on the subject. Was from you that the word of God first went forth or has it come to you only? I mean, he's not just playing games, is he? He knew there was Paul's teachers and there's people that's trying to corrupt. Satan is sent in there. He says, listen, I want you to think about this. You the ones that thought up this instruction? No, 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 no. This came to you. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things that I write to you are the Lord's commandment, including the last one 
about women having a public ministry of speaking and teaching over men in the church. Is there other places for women to speak? Absolutely. But when it's a gathered, gathered assembly, the whole assembly comes together, he said no. It's not just that culture. He already talked about that in, in 1 Corinthians 11. It's about order of creation. And the, the, the church is supposed to be demonstrating God's order. He goes on to say, if anyone does not recognize his teaching, he is not recognized. Wow. Paul's Paul's getting serious. You know why? Because this is a serious time. Our worship time is serious. Do you take it that way? When you prepare on Saturday night, are you up all hours watching the late night? It doesn't really matter because you're gonna show up and snooze anyway. Hmm? That's why we don't have a lot of church activities on Saturday afternoon and evening. Even our church weddings on Saturday, I say, well, you need to bump that up earlier because tomorrow is the most important day for all of us to come together and worship. We wanna be at our best. We wanna be at our sharpest to give our very best to the Lord in worship. Verse 39, therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophecy. Do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. The one Baptist distinctive that colors everything else, get this, the word of God is the only rule for faith and practice. If you don't know any other Baptist distinctive, that is sufficient. The word of God is the only rule for faith and practice. We always come back to the word. We judge every ministry by the word of God. Do we know everything? No, we don't. That's why we gotta keep coming back to the word. We gotta keep studying it. John MacArthur had this insight. Revelation should be obeyed in the right way and right gifts should be exercised in the right way. The basic meaning of the Greek word properly is gracefully, becomingly, harmoniously, beautifully. Orderly has the meaning of in turn or one at a time. God is a God of beauty and harmony, of propriety and order, and all things that his children do should reflect those divine characteristics. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know for some this might be a tough passage, but your words, they have meaning. We're not called to come to your word and decide what we think about it. We're called to come to your word and then submit to it. Our experience does rule us. Your word rules us because we want to be known as a people of the book. And we know that one day, Lord, we're going to stand before you as your children. And Lord, I know every heart desires to hear, well done, well done, faithful steward. And then even then, Lord, we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.